0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by TechServe, New York's original and still the best Apple computer, iPod, and iPhone store and repair shop. For more information, visit TechServe.com. I'm
0: Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: And welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel here today with the illustrious Jody Williams of Bouvette. Thank you so much for being on.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: You were just recently on Julia Tertian's Radio Cherry Bomb Show talking about this wonderful cookbook I have in front of me, Bouvet: the Pleasure of Good Food.
3: Yeah, well, we it was a great afternoon with Julia and all the rest in it, Well.
2: It's stunning. I mean, th- this project is a culmination of so many different things that you've done but there's something that's tied them all together and i think it's not just your finesse but your focus on making something that kind of neighborhood joint you know as bistros are as your past projects have been you you care about entertaining and having someone over and sharing a meal with them um let's kind of start from the beginning and is that California the beginning for yeah,
3: you? Yeah, that yeah. would be pretty much a beginning, California. Yeah, Correct. I
2: mean, what was life like? What what did you eat? Cook? Uh?
3: Well, I grew up. I was a kid in California, you know, so. Um What, you know, what most kids eat, you know, school lunches and uh, and nothing really great. I mean, I didn't really grow up in a garden patch or have some wonderful story. It was pretty just basic uh, growing up kids, you know, bologna sandwiches and stuff like that. But I was always intrigued and I always had a knack for food. It came easy to me, even as a kid, I would cook for the family, I'd cook for my mom and experiment and play around uh, i was always in and out of the kitchen so to speak uh, you know i would make french toast for the whole neighborhood uh, <laughs> if i could <laughs> if i could yeah uh, so you know but nothing great but i set my sights on traveling and teaching myself how to cook and i i got exposed to a lot of really great things in life
2: yeah i mean in the book itself you call yourself a self-taught chef
3: mm-hmm.
2: um what is this culmination of experiences? Did you go formatively to school, or what was your path into the culinary arts?
3: Well, I studied history in college, and uh, but um, I wasn't sure I, I could or would be a chef. I just always had after-school jobs. I always worked with food. I remember the first time I really started to learn how to cook. I was making sandwiches in a, in a snack bar in a health club, and the chef used to come in a little tipsy mare and she couldn't get her work done and we didn't want mare to get in trouble <laughs> with the bosses so we'd all pitch in and do mare's mise en place to her her job so I learned how to cook through <laughs> through that <laughs> experience and she would wake up in the middle of her shift and yell at me for not peeling apples for the salad right or anything like that so I, I fell into it through a lot of ways and uh, that that led me to, the, to this to creating a place that uh, you want to hang out in
2: Absolutely, and I hang out in there plenty, and I'm only <laughs> hoping to get to Big soon to, you know, see see that dichotomy of what New York and Paris have done, you know, to translate bouvet. But going back again, it's not often that I read a foreword, you know, in, in a cookbook and feel something, feel such depth to it. And Mary Batali wrote a little piece about how the two of you have had very... Similar paths in the sense that you've been in the same places at the same times. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the you know Cliff House in San Francisco, that Four Seasons hotel.
3: Right. Well, yeah, the Cliff Hotel uh, with the famous Redwood Room. Uh, Mario had already been a sous chef there for some time, and I finished college and I was looking for an experience in a kitchen to see if that's something I wanted to pursue. Besides, you know, my after-school jobs and whatnot. So I, uh, I found the ad, I found an ad to this job uh, in the newspaper. I always do that. And I asked the porter, the doorman. I said, "What does this? What does a steward do?" He said, "A steward puts food on plate." I said, "Oh, I got that." <laughs> so I go around the corner. I go into the employee entrance and I applied for the job and I got the job. And then I'm in a lab coat and I'm assistant steward and learning to set up banquets and it was a rough job, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's not the choice job you want to pick, right? Chief dishwasher, but Mario was in the kitchen and uh, passionate ever as ever about food. And there were a lot of great um, cooks and chefs uh, in the restaurant, too, in the hotel. So I had a great experience there, and, uh, but knew I really wanted to learn how to cook. So I got on a plane and came out to New York and uh, set my sights on the, the next thing.
2: Reggio Amelia.
3: Yeah, well, Reggio Emilia. I fell into it when I, I got a little experience in New York, and I began to teach myself how to cook, and I could hold down a job almost. And from there, I, I went to Italy, and I stayed in Reggio Emilia, and I didn't know how long I was going to stay. I was just sort of—I'm blowing with the wind for my whole life. Yeah, what
2: well, what is that area of Italy like?
3: Uh, well, it's it's quite famous for pasta and food, and it's uh, where they make uh, prosciutto from Langriano, Parma Parmigiano Reggiano. Balsamic, so it has a really rich uh, culinary heritage, and it's a lot of fun. Real laid back, in the middle of the Italy, so you're not on uh, either. You don't really have access to either coast, but a short drive out to the seaside at Tuscany, not too far from Milan. You know, it's yeah, it's a great place. It's told me. and Who's complaining? Yeah, no one's complaining about being you there.
2: know. You mentioned those ingredients: prom, you know, prosciutto, balsamic. Mm-hmm. They're such pantry ingredients, but. What makes them different there than what we see in most American pantries?
3: Well, just keep in mind, I mean, if going to the source for just about anything that uh, you want to teach yourself is an ideal situation to be in. Because you get there and then that is their par- Parmigiano. So you learn more about it. You'll see it in different stages, whether it's aged, You just It's more intense experience. And those ingredients are probably uh, more choice in their pantries than ours. But our pantries are pretty, pretty grand these days. Yeah. And you mentioned that they're pretty staple items, but 10 or 15 years ago, they weren't. I mean, 10 or 15 years ago, mozzarella was sort of exotic around on certain tables. So uh, we've really made some advances where we're, you know have all all these ingredients at our fingertips and plus all the knowledge
2: well i mean let's go back 10 20 years in new york what were you seeing on tables i know you worked at what was it was at raquel uh thomas keller's restaurant right. what were those dishes
3: well that w- that was uh, really probably one one of the most popular restaurants at that time i mean, what time was that? i'm talking about 1980 yeah about 1989 87 88 i don't know you know um but um we were doing $35 lamb entrees. I mean, the food has, a lot of the food hasn't changed too much. I mean, that was very sort of continental French, very creative. You know, we were airbrushing gelatins on plates. Very intense uh, kitchen and a great experience for me. But um, I think the more laid-back Italian approach was uh, appealing. Yeah. But I didn't know that at that time because that's all I was learning was classical French, this kind of restauranteur. Uh So, you know. Like I say, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Picking it all up. I mean,
2: what what do you consider laid-back Italian?
3: Mm, a laid-back Italian? Well, it's a laid-back Italian would be something for me that I would recognize, an experience I might have at a table with friends or having dinner at someone's house or going to a saga or a festival outdoors where food's more shared and less formal. And, you know, it's... Uh, I would say that kind of environment.
2: So, I mean, what were some of the dishes you were putting out at Reggio Emilia?
3: Oh, Reggio, well, Reggio Emilia, we did classic Italian cuisine. Yeah. I did all the meats. Uh, I did all the proteins and the vegetables. And then the chef, he did all the pastas and risottos. You know, handmade tagliatelle, erizzone, real cl- classic capoletti and brodo. I mean, the art of making brodo or the art of making a ripino a feeling for tortelli di zucca, one of my favorite things in the world. You know, it's um, intense to see it happen every year when the crop of pumpkin comes in, and whether it's watery or it's right or it's the best ever. It's, it's, food is very contemplative, but informal, but taken care of.
2: I like that you ping back and forth between classic and, you know, the art of as if they're two different things. But they, they are the same, you know, the same vein in that if you're trying to make a classic dish, you're trying to learn the art of that dish right how, do, how does that translate to a restaurant? you know you you can make a Croakman serve for yourself, but how do you make it for everybody else and make it that signature thing
3: Well I think um, well Croakish great that 's a great uh, let 's see how would i How would I describe that I think if you're going to if you make any dish in your restaurant, it helps a lot to really love that dish, crave that dish, want that dish respect it, and make sure you give it its due. So when I'm making your croque monsieur, your croque madame, I'm worried, does it have enough ham? Did the bechamel come out? You know, is the cheese melting? I mean, it gets complicated, and it's that that love to execute it and make it what it deserves, you know, to wear its crown, so to speak, on any dish, whether it's two-minute egg, you know, that passion of getting it right, you know, how good it is when it's just right.
2: I mean, does that come more out of Italian or, or your newfound love of Gaelic food?
3: Well, I think you find it in anything. It just uh, It's a universal thing. Any cuisine or any, you know, um, project or work you might have in mind, you know, that passion to tweak it, get it right, to study it, to learn from others, to make it your own and get it out to everybody. It's, it's hard. You know, cooking is very easy and very hard to do it uh, professionally and, you know. Get all the corners, uh you know, squared up. Yeah, I mean, it's at a, least for me. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, well, it's a consistency thing, and uh, I've I've kind of followed your career in that. I loved Mirandi.
3: Oh,
2: I loved Gotino, and mm. you know, the the things that you did were were so warm and inviting, unfussy, but obviously so technical. And with Bouvet, it's just it's just it's kind of hit a straightaway. You know, you got to this point where. I don't remember a time when Bouvet didn't exist, and I can't foresee a time when Bouvet won't be there.
3: <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I, <laughs> I like your thoughts. Um, we have a lot of fun at Bouvet, and what move, makes Bouvet such a great place to hang out, to come and eat and visit is, is the whole community that shows up. I mean, if, it really feels like you know, a, a piazza, a community where you can drop in. No reservations, not necessary. Come and do what you want, you know. So we'd really try to, and I know there's long lines and people are waiting and everything. (laughs) No, you know, it's, but it it was meant from the very beginning. We built a place, you know, I built a place I want to hang out in myself with people, not a lot of rules. I don't want to jump through a lot of hoops. I mean, you might have to stand and wait, but other than that, Grab a table and do what you want.
2: If that's the least you have to do to have a croque monsieur there <laughs> and you know a Cure Royale, I, I'm fine with that. You know, and what what does the word bouvette mean to you? Uh,
3: bouvette, uh, you know, in the classic sense, bouvette is that place where you refresh your yourself, where you you know grab a, a beer at a soccer game or a gelato at the beach, you know. But it's a place to hang. For me, it's a place to to hang out, and uh, it's just. Think seriously about food and drink And and just enjoy, you know
2: And unlike many kind of New York spots It's open all day I mean, it's there to service the neighborhood Almost first and foremost It's not just about having a dinner rush It's, It's about being there
3: Yeah, I think it's important to be open early And be open late I mean, there's so many different New Yorkers early morning and late night and it's a legit uh community out there and the doors open you know to for everybody i know a lot of restaurants you know to close early to not you know and but really new York's it's happening late night early in the morning and it's great to be part of that
2: we're going to take a quick break come back talk more about the pleasures of good food with jody williams you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org
1: Doesn't want to be VIP. If you buy your Mac or iPad with Apple Care at TechServe, you're automatically enrolled in their excellent Insider Program. The Insider Program gets you free lessons, annual tune-ups, special offers, and more. Plus, you get discounts on some items and front-of-the-line privileges when new Mac products come out. It's one of the many reasons to make TechServe your one-stop shop for all things Mac-related. TechServe, make stuff happen. For more visit techserve.com. Hey and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage
2: Radio dot org. Here today with Jody Williams of Bouvet of the Cookbook Bouvet: The Pleasure of Good Food. And you know, we were talking during the break about which recipes I liked of the book and I instantly said allego, which is, is not really a well-known potato recipe, but charmed me years ago in France. In, in a similar vein, it seems like it charmed you. But th- tell me about the development of that recipe and kind of a chance encounter of a patron who came <laughs> and cooked in your kitchen.
3: Well, once in a while, I'll, I'll use a chalkboard with just one word in the window. You know, just it's allego or oxtail or bibonade. And uh, when this day it said alley goat and a lady burst in the the door and said, I'm from where they make alley goat. How can you be making alley goat? I know you you know. And how are you making alley goat? And show me your alley goat. And um this is wonderful. I love when this happens and this is how I learned to cook. Is a lot of this verbal tradition where I'm gonna tell you everything I know and you're gonna share with me. What you know and what you're passionate about and, and it boils down to a good pot of soup, so to speak Whether I would be in markets or uh, fish stalls And ask somebody, what do you do with that fish? I, get, I always get a story and a good ideas I'm very practical, you know So she came in and uh, we, we discussed Dally Goat And she, I learned a lot from her I'm like, okay, I got it Yeah, what you did know?
2: she do that you weren't doing?
3: Well, uh, it's traditionally made with a fresh uh, cantal, a tome and that's not really available out here. So you find the next best, net, the next best cheese that you can use to make that alley goat. You said it's a potato recipe. And I'm thinking, gee, it's a yeah. che- I'm thinking it's a cheese <laughs> 50, recipe. 50, yeah. But, uh, you know, half and half and just um, the technique and the experience of it where it's, it's so much potatoes and so much cheese whipped together that it stretches for, like, feet and as you wind it around your spoon and begin to serve it. So, um, you know, she just verified everything I was thinking and clarified how much I don't know at the same time. So, uh, you know, always much appreciated. When people just walk in the door, just you get a letter out of the blue and uh, you take it. Life takes a twist.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it did take a twist in that you opened up a French bistro in in New York, a gastrotech, as you Mm -hmm. call it. And then you were lured back to the motherland to... To Paris to open up in a sense a carbon copy of what you 've done here, I mean, how many Americans have opened up a French bistro in New York only to export it back to paris
3: <laughs> we didn't really you know that's really fun. we didn't think of it yeah. yet like that. I mean, if you told me that I'm like, oh I don't want to do that yeah <laughs> oh, wow, but um, you know I had a, a, a great guy, Tom Gaget' working with me for a year. He walks in the door, wants a job, wants to work only in the mornings doesn't have any restaurant experience so I said listen if you want to come tomorrow 6 a.m. I'm washing the floor. We just opened and that's what you do when you own a restaurant. (laughs) So he showed up and for a year we worked together. We had a great rapport and he learned everything. I mean so many people start out like you know at the very bottom of the ladder. He learned everything. We taught him how to cook, how to manage, how to you know receive goods and whatnot. He really liked it and I made a promise. Let's do this. We had so many French people coming in New York City loving Bouvet and saying, Why don't you do this in Paris? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> I know where I'm going when I'm in Paris. Yeah. What are you talking So we were, in, we were encouraged by the spirit of what was going on in New York. And you know, here we had this little community of like minds. Then we met other people in, in Paris who, oh, God, I love Bouvet. Let's do it. So there was an old Indian restaurant that we uh, turned over into uh, a bouvet, and, and it's, the same, it's, it's the same thing, you know, and functions the same way, and it's over there now.
2: Yeah. Does that kind of blow your mind?
3: Well, I don't think of it like in such a big-picture yeah, kind yeah. of way. You know, it's a small neighborhood place with really special people who are on this adventure with me and uh, risking it and learning it as we go. And in terms like that, it, it's really cool, yeah. and it's a great commute, and I'm having a blast. And it, and it seems to be working and being well received. And for someone who's self-taught, I'm learning more and more every time I go over there.
2: Yeah, where where do you eat aside from Bouvet while you're in Paris?
3: Oh, I'm a, I love old classic things. You know, I mean, I go everywhere I can. I mean, unstoppable. But anywhere I can go, um, but I, I like old traditional things. Fontana de Mars, Che George. You know, long lunches, but um, you know, markets hang out at markets.
2: Yeah, which which markets?
3: Well, the market, uh, we're in Pigalle, in the South Pigalle there, so um, we go to uh, Bagnoles, the market at Bagnoles, which is our closest market on Saturdays. And uh, Linda, who's our, our partner and landlord there, she knows everything, and she's a great guide. I mean, you can eat raw oysters there and get our cheeses and special jams and apple cider in the fall. So it's just a great environment and, and inspiring for me as a chef, and continuing the, the opportunity to learn stuff. Stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, well, the stuff that you've learned, again, back to the classics, I mean, it's it's cassoulet, it's poulet roti, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's tried and true traditions. How, how does it differ in, you know, New York versus Paris?
3: Well, I mean, there uh, there's a lot of differences uh, and there's a lot of similarities. Uh, a few differences for me as a chef. They have great poultry excellent poultry and excellent uh ingredients so when you make coco van you're really making you know it's the chicken cooks longer you know the butter is it's just um more rich uh, crema fresh is just out of this world and why we're finding great ingredients here too in new york um there's a slight difference you know you have to pay a little bit of attention yeah
2: and do you tweak your recipes? Do you tweak your techniques so there's a consistency between the two bistros? Or do you let it be its own thing?
3: Um, well, I probably tweak stuff every day, you know. But um, we tweak a little bit in, in Paris, and we allow for a lot of localism, what's going on there, what people are interested in there, what we pull from the markets. I mean, I heard cherries were out last week already, and here I'm in New York City. So we're on a little bit of a different time schedule. Yeah. So taking that in consideration and... We're all on different kitchens, are on different learning curves, but it's pretty much the same thing, same spirit. I mean, when we when we got there, we weren't really going to put Bouvet on the door. We just wanted to make this place to hang out, you know. And some people popped their head in and said, uh, they said in French, "Oh my God, is this uh, is this the same Bouvet in New York?" And we looked at each other and said, "Oh my God, who <laughs> knew <laughs> You know, we didn't think anybody would ever know. Yeah. And he said, "Oh, I'll be back tonight with my friends." We looked at each other. And I had with me, uh, you know, Max and Mark from uh, New York, and, you know, and they went, we went out and painted the name, Mark went out and painted the name on the door.
2: Yeah. It's kind of an amazing thing, you know, that, that you've created something that, that is the best of everything, and people understand that and accept it and want it as close to them as possible. Is there another city? Are there other places in the world that are hoping for or getting a bouvet?
3: Well, you know, it's a very um, uh, intimate group of people That uh, So as that circle widens And like um, I have colleagues that we work together in Tokyo That could be possibility We're exploring that We have invitations You know, we have invitations But we like doing it, you know With, with each other, for each other And, and it's a strange thing it's not, This is definitely not a business model But you can never say no But we're, you know, why not?
2: Yeah. You know, and as French as Bouvette is, I love the little little idiosyncratic Italian things that creep (laughs) back in. You you can't get rid of your past, and it's such a wonderful thing to have in your repertoire. But, you know, does it have to be traditionally French to be in Bouvette? Seemingly, no.
1: No, you
3: know what? We, We have one rule, and it's do what we love. Yeah. And if we want... BLT sandwiches, homemade mayo and crisp iceberg lettuce, nice toast. We're going to make it. And I think it's that drive, it just keeps it really fresh, you know. But we, I personally, I love classics, and I love learning more and more about things, you know, more classic dishes, but it's meant to be fun. And that's why you'll find a lot of highs and lows on the menu. If you're in Paris, you could order a bottle of Krug or have a can of 1664. Because you mentioned it's about, you know, uh, the best, but that's so subjective, Mm -hmm. you know, and every day is different. So to be a place that's so part of a community, it's great to have highs and lows. Well,
2: I think I meant the best in ideology because, you know, uh, good coffee is a must. You Mm -hmm. don't serve decaf. You don't serve sweeteners you just told me you don't serve coca-cola anymore that there there's a very, you know, specific way you want to cater to your audience and it is by delivering the best experience so by having that that wide net, you know, and everything on that net being immaculate is in my eyes the best way of doing things
3: um, I think it's important to edit ourselves and sort of weed out. I mean, basically, I have a really small place, yeah. and I can't have everything. So we, we have to edit ourselves out. And we try to make, we try to think of one thing when we have to make decisions. And that one thing is, is this good for our guest? And it could have to do with how many waiters we have on the floor, or whether we're going to serve this or that. And what does it mean for the guest? I think as long as we keep that in mind And that's our focus And we do what we love We're, we're going to be okay
2: Talk to me about oeufs brulees
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> Oeufs brulees? Yeah Steamed eggs
2: I love it, I love it so much <laughs> That's
3: so funny I, I, I'm, just, I'm just a very lucky person I mean, I said, you know I was a cook for, for a long time And I knew if I was ever going to Have my own place Which was a daily dream I, I used to tell my friends I'd have to cook off an espresso machine in a panini press, because that's probably all I could afford, you know, on a salary that, for chopping onions all day. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened to be a great technique for steaming eggs. What I'm talking about is we crack a couple fresh eggs into a porcelain pitcher, stir them, and apply the steam wand on an espresso machine so that they sort of bloom and soften and uh, serve them over toast with parmesan or fresh prosciutto or smoked salmon, creme fraiche, the classic things you'll find at Bouvette. We do that all day. We do it with caviar, and we serve other little things. Basically, this idea that Bouvette is a gastrotech, and all the food comes right in front of you behind the bar, as well as we're prepping in the kitchen all day. We have a little kitchen where we're, like, peeling fava beans and prepping and, you know, washing dishes.
2: You know, you say it from right behind the bar, and one of my favorite things is when you walk in, right to your left, at the end of the bar, there always sits a Tarte Tatin. <laughs> you know, and it, it, because you also just mentioned something, I don't know if you realize, you said a classic at Bouvette. and I feel like you've already done that for yourself, already developed classics in your own restaurant, off of other people's classics, that if people walked in there and that Tarte Tatin wasn't there that day, they, they'd be sad.
3: Yeah, this is an this is interesting part of cooking for me, because I, I thought for a long time that I'd write a menu every day. I'd want to start over, and maybe elements, elements of that remain. But I'd start over and have another menu, and I thought, that's what it was. And then I realized that people wanted things, and they were very comfortable when the place had an identity and they had an expectation. And I realized that's true about myself, that I'll, I'll travel across town to get A, B, or C and if it wasn't there, I'd be uh, a little disappointed. So we try to cook within this identity that, that we we have for ourselves. And people have anointed things on the menu, the guests have, that are, are now classics. Yeah. And things we do at Bouvet are sort of iconic. And, and uh, I realize how important it is that is, and I try to honor it, take care of it. You know, appreciate it.
2: What were some of the dishes that you, I think, didn't expect to, to be Bouvet classics?
3: Um, well, you know, um, I mean, I'm I'm taking the French classics and just bring and just making it. So, I mean, they were I, I'm already coming off a classic status when you talk about chocolate mousse and tartare tan. But I love when people say, "Can I have a dessert menu?" I'm like, "No dessert menu. Just two things: yeah, tartare tan and chocolate mousse." But um, what surprises me to be a classic, um, well, I mean, everything's sort of already a classic thing. I mean, I'm I'm surprised that people ask for, you know, like rabbit moutard and lots of cassoulet and uh, that they're still eating, you know, pots and pots of (laughs) van. I'm very pleased, but uh, I'm just uh, overall, I would say, I'm overall impressed that things are always in, always requested. You know, kids coming in after school with their parents for you know chocolate crepes, Nutella crepes.
2: I mean, it's it's become. I'm trying to think of a new word because it's not a destination because it's there already, you know. It's it's embedded in the West Village, if not the greater New York, and now Paris. So, it's 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 this establishment that exists. Part of that existence is. Not just the food, but how well-designed the place is and how well-designed the menu is. You know, and when you think about aesthetic, I mean, your steamed artichokes in, in, in the cookbook are such a beautiful thing. Do you work from the aesthetic first?
3: Mm-hmm. I, th- I don't think we really think in terms of aesthetic. Um, I, we like th- I like things to have a certain feel for it. And... Uh, I like things to sort of represent what they are. It's very easy, you know, it's sort of super normal. It's a lot of super normalism, you know, and I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here and always embarrassed when it gets pointed out so often that, yeah, it's just a lot of normal stuff, but really cared for and loved, you know, so when you talk about design it's an opportunity for us to play. I mean the, the, what's great about Bouvet and being a gastrotech is sort of is a restaurant that's inside out? So we have, we're able to do things that most restaurants can't do because it's it's just the sleek nature of the setup. So we have time. We can play with uh, paper. We can play with letterpress. We can uh, enjoy developing. You know, we paint the menu on the on the window. It's sort of we're sort of unfettered there in in, the, in a way.
2: And how many people steal your menu? Which is one of the cutest most charming little things Our, at the... our,
3: our pop-up menu yeah. I don't know I hope they don't <laughs> steal that much it's, I mean you can always ask for one yeah. you know it's, but um, people enjoy it I know I know when Martha Stewart walked in it was like the first thing she just started snapping pictures of uh, of the pop-up menu you know
2: and explain what the pop-up menu is
3: well it's just a little menu it has a little um, icon uh, that represents Bouvette in the middle of it so when you open the pages it's sort of Pops up so sort of like a 3D a 3D menu, and we make these by hands there, there right. We glue them together right. So <laughs> it's endless work. <laughs> There's a million yeah. tasks to do. Are you, are you not busy? Come over here, <laughs> put the rivets in the wine list. Oh, you got time? Let's let's go. You know, fold a million napkins. But um, it's just fun. It's just more in the spirit to play to, with things and being inspired by uh, you know children's books or looking looking at. Uh, the monotony of doing what we do every day and being able to d- refresh ourselves and find another slightly way a different way to do something that's cool
2: yeah well i'm always excited to see what that slightly different way is <laughs> and when i tell people you know go stop by Bouvette, see jody like you you see jody there not not just the aura of but it's a pretty uh, exposed restaurant you see the bones <laughs> oh, no. and it, but in the best of ways because yeah. that's what you know brings people in and that's what's so amazing and charming about it and this cookbook as well buvette the pleasure of good food just such a great culmination of everything that you've done and i, I see it again riding for a long time i can't wait for my next stop in
3: well thank you very much
2: and for my next croakman sir. <laughs> everything there it's <laughs> our my mind's racing about what i'm going to order next but I'm just going to be happy to see that tied to 10. Well, you have got the book right there. I so do. going you gonna gonna start, start cooking own. away. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again, Jody. And if you want to learn more about the cookbook, again, listen to Radio Cherry Bomb, Julia Tertian's interview with Jody Williams. Fantastic. You've been listening to the food scene on Heritage dot org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on Heritage dot org.